Hello and welcome to Theater 42, a virtual art house cinema. The only place to watch films in theaters at home in comfort. So join our Kickstarter campaign and enter for your chance to win the golden ticket with unlimited access to live shows, events, and films. To learn more, visit our website at theater42.org. That's theater42.org. And soon you'll be well on your way to a lifetime of cinema. For early access, exclusive content, and so much more, go to patreon.com slash lifethroughfiction. That's patreon.com slash lifethroughfiction. Hello, we are the Black Tower Podcast, a Wheel of Time podcast. I am Josh, your Sorovan Mahal. I'm Daniel, your Amin Khan Mahal. And I am Andrew, your Bajan Mahal. Every week we have full spoiler discussions about Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. Themes, characters, cultures, the TV show, nothing is off limits. If it's The Wheel of Time, we're talking about it. New episodes drop every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, so check out our website, blacktowerpod.com, to find our socials, episodes, merch, and Patreon. I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. Let's talk about Black Caesar. Before we get into this week's episode, next week we are going to be watching one of my favorite films of all time from one of my favorite directors of all time. That's the Orson Welles, The Touch of Evil, something I'm very excited about. I know, Andrew, the only Orson Welles film you've seen is Citizen Kane, so you're going to be in for quite the experience. No, I've also seen it for Faith. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. We talked about it. But those are, those are, the, those are the two that everyone has seen, though. I think uh, I was thinking about this. Everybody has seen Citizen Kane and Effer Fake. I mean, they're both great, but definitely like on opposite ends of Wells' like career, right? Right, right. We watched Black Caesar this week, directed by Larry Cohen. Have you seen any of his stuff before? Black Caesar. I've seen quite a few Larry Cohen movies. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I suggested it because like one, um, you know, like uh, like Criterion has this collection of black exploitation movies on there. I hadn't seen a lot of black exploitation, quote unquote, black exploitation movies. They're they're black crime black exploitation movies are basically just like movies that star and are mostly made by black people in like the late 60s early 70s that's pretty much like what black exploitation movies are yeah and like they're, they're crime movies and science fiction movies and comedy movies and horror and stuff like that and the most popular ones are were crime so but yeah like larry cohen you know director produced and wrote this movie he's a white guy from new york <laughs> Uh, and he rocks. He is, uh, I think he's underappreciated American auteur. He's cool. Like I watched a really good documentary about him. He died a few years ago, actually. And he's awesome. He uh, he started out kind of like how Spielberg did, where he started out um, writing and creating television shows. And I believe he worked his way up from the NBC page program in like the 50s. Basically built up his reputation early on by like writing for and creating and producing movies. And I think, a, a t- a, not movies, a television shows and episodes. And he, yeah, like he got, he was really good at it. And then he made a really good movie called Bone, which is kind of a black exploitation movie. Um, that's really good. It's like a very like confrontational movie about race and stuff like that. It's very good. 
And then after that, he kind of like, he kind of just goes nuts and he creates like a bunch of like all kinds of different movies. I mean, he makes, you know, like some, you know, black exploitation movies, of course, um, like a few, um, but mostly also like horror movies and like kind of science fiction-y kind of stuff and like thrillers too. He made a lot of th- like erotic thrillers. And I think he's probably most known as a writer than a director, um, but he's a great director and he has a particular, I want to say guerrilla style of directing, but he's also written like a lot of other movies that he didn't direct as well he has a he also has a particular style in that way as well so he's just really cool like i like him a lot and uh, he's like an insane guy he's like crazy he's just he's very creative yeah i think this was my first larry cohen experience i don't think i've seen anything written or directed by him that i can think of i mean definitely uh definitely a great first film to watch of larry cohen like i'm definitely interested for uh because I know I know a lot of his stuff's pretty easy to find, so definitely something going to be looking into the next couple of weeks. Because uh, wow, he's so much fun. Yeah, his, his movies are really fun to watch. He has a really good movie called God Told Me To that he wrote and directed, which is a like a like kind of like a detective movie about and it, that takes place in New York City. And the the idea is that like people, random people, keep like doing mass murders, um, and when they're caught and ask why they did it they say god told me to and it keeps on happening like it like like to different people it's like and this guy's trying to like figure out why and it's just like an insane movie it's so much fun but i think like this was his big film hit uh black caesar was like it was his it, it was a big hit for him and i think so he made bone and then he made black caesar and black caesar was like a really big hit for him and that i think you know it kind of set off you know all of his other stuff so Black Caesar starts off, you got this kid, 1950s New York City, somewhere in that range. Yeah, it's supposed to be, yeah. He's uh, like 12, 13 years old, something in that range. He's shining some shoes, and immediately there is a murder. The man whose shoes he's shining gets shot. Yeah, he's, of course, is our main character, Kid Mode. Uh, kid, yeah, he he instigates the murder. So he's like paid by this guy to like shine and distract this guy's shoes and then also hold it and then this guy is able to walk over and like shoot the guy um i love when he shoots the guy and he runs away like boom you get the title card with like the james brown music it's a perfect edit yeah oh my god the music in this is incredible i mean just through the whole thing is just every single number i was wrong like the theme at the beginning is not a james brown song it's like another like person like who sang sang it and put it together, and the rest of the score is James Brown. But yeah, it's really good. That's a common thing about these black exploitation movies. They all have like really good soul and like funk soundtracks, and they will literally and they're written for the movie. So like literally, they'll like like almost kind of like explain what is happening in the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a Shaft. The beginning of Shaft has like a song, like the music's by Isaac Hayes, and it's amazing. And like the, yeah, the theme of Shaft is literally like Isaac Hayes being like, like, yeah, Shaft's amazing. Like, you know, like saying his name, like in the song and stuff, you know, it's, it's really good. That's incredible. But we get our first, our first number. The score is primarily made uh, by um, James Brown. But I'm trying to see like who did like what the, like the opening song is called, but it's a great song. It like kicks it off and it sets off everything really well. It really does. I mean, obviously it's supposed to take a 1950s and uh, you know, it, it, but still great looking you know uh just the way new york city looks in like the late 60s early 70s just really grimy and gross and just everything looks awful our main character who has just uh assisted in a murder 
goes up to the his like boss or like the person he's who's like paid him off or whatever he has to deliver an envelope basically and he goes up to some apartment complex and of course it's this like super racist yeah a comically <laughs> evil white guy which is i, I love Comically evil intensely racist uh 1950s cop just the absolute worst basically he just beats the shit out of this like 12 year old kid yeah he accuses him of stealing money out of the envelope it's like you know it's like his payoff money his hush money you know it, it, it's never explained if he actually did or not but the cop accuses him of like um uh stealing money from him um and yeah he beats the hell out of him and it's a very it's a very you know it's 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 filmed very wildly you know like the camera shaking and the edits are very quick and it's it's a very effect it's a very effective scene in terms of like establishing early on the mindset of the character where the character is coming from i guess yeah it's definitely some really great world building on the part of who these characters who we will come to learn more about later on and just kind of the way they see the world and also just the style of larry cohen as a director and just the insane editing pace and you know the shaking and the running around and even though this film is pretty violent there's not a lot of scenes where like you directly see the violence like it's a lot of like close-ups and a lot of just like really uh thoughtful movement with the camera so like it looks pretty intense but there's not like a lot of actual like hits at least in this opening part I think there are literally some parts where people get killed, but I think what happens is, is that they'll film in the streets. And so people will like, uh, an actor will pretend to be shot and they'll fall on something. And the thing about Larry Cohen's directing that's very evident is um, he steals footage all the time. You know, he lives in New York City, he's from New York City, and he films in New York City, but it's clear for this movie and other movies that I've seen by him, he does not really get permits or anything like <laughs> Absolutely that. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, so like he does crazy stunts. He does crazy stunts. He does crazy, he gets crazy footage. You, you know, that scene where he's, um, I'm kind of skipping ahead, but you know, that scene where uh, uh, he gets shot. And he's like wandering in the streets and stuff. And people, the one that's kind of like a bird's eye view, that's yeah. that's just like a regular group of people. Like th those awesome. aren't extras. So it's like that's this guy, awesome. like it's Fred Williamson, like walking around the streets pretending to be shot. And everyone's like, dude, are you okay? Oh, or like walking past him and stuff. When they're like on the ground, I think people are like, oh, okay. Like, you know, it's a movie. Cause like, there's like a crew right there. Like <laughs> there's a camera. <laughs> but when he's like up high, you know, people can see the camera. It's great. I mean, it's honestly guerrilla filmmaking at its finest. I mean, this is early American New Wave. And, and ultimately, too, like Larry Kona is just a great writer. I mean, his mo this this movie in particular, you know, it just has really good writing and really good story, like a really good, thoughtful, like story. You know, like it's a very, you know, it's not like just like a regular gangster movie. It, it's it it's pretty deep at a like a like on a mental level. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to be said about the writing and the story. And of course, we can't fail to mention that it is a, it's a pretty strict adaptation of the story of Caesar. So obviously, you know, they changed some things and that sort of thing. But in many ways, as someone who has read far too many histories, especially in Julius Caesar, it's basically a modern day story of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. 
in a lot of ways. Tommy Gibbs, by the way, is the is the name of our character, and it's it's it's. But before we they transport you to the future, they introduce you to his friend. I, that scene in the hospital is so funny because <laughs> it's like, oh, you're smart, <laughs> you know, because he's got like he's got like Poindexter glasses and stuff. Got glasses that makes him smart. <laughs> It's like, you know, you're going to be like the brains of the operation and I'll kind of be like the leader and the muscle of it. And we're, you know, we're going to fucking like do, you know what I mean? Like he's determined to be like basically like a career criminal pretty much. He's got aspirations. Yeah. And he's like, we're going to make life better for everybody else, you know? And then it's like years later, it's like the seventies now. No, no, no. 65. Uh, You get that great scene where he goes into the barber shop uh to (laughs) and he like sits down and the guy's getting, there's a guy getting like shaved. And uh, he's like toying with him. Uh, Tommy is, which is uh, that's a that's a that's a good scene because he's so smooth and stuff. Even when he's like killing people, at least in the beginning parts of the movie, he's very smooth. You know, he's very cool about it. You know, he doesn't such a cool man. That's why he doesn't get caught, right? Like because he's like cool about it. Yeah, he's just so smooth and just so <sighs> uncaring. Is perhaps not the right word, but someone who's just very willing to do what it takes to climb up the criminal ladder as it were and of course you know you gotta love a scene where a man uh, dies via shaving because you know it, it's a classic it really is and you know the whole scene with like uh the barbers like he's nervous and he's like cutting him up a little bit yeah like he starts cutting him he's like super nervous he's like handshaking there's like a guy getting his sh- shoes polished and and tommy's just there just like he's got a gun and he just shoots him. He just—he's like, I'm, I will kill you. Yeah. And he, and he, and he's go, He's goading him though. He's goading him to like attack him first, and then he does, and then he fucking just guns him down. And then everybody's like, uh, okay. And he just walks away. He walks away, and that's it. <laughs> that's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the movie. And then you kind of like you get like Tommy again. He visits um some mob Italian leader, some guy, you know, family Godfather guy. He's like eating, he's like eating spaghetti <laughs> and he's like, boom. And he drops like an ear on the plate. And he's like, Hey, what the, what the fuck? I was eating that. That's some spaghetti. It's like Tony Soprano. Like, Hey, 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 I was eating that. And then they kind of have like a conversation. And of course, like all the white, like I said, all the white people in the movie are extremely racist and they all like use the heart N word and quite a few slurs. And Tommy is like sitting down with him and he's kind of laying out his like plan with him. He's like, you know, I'll, I'll kill people for you. And, you know, he's like, I'm good at it. You know, for some reason, you know, I'm just like very inconspicuous, I guess, which is, I don't know. He's just cool about it. Well, I think like part of the thing when he's like talking about it is he's like, if a white guy goes and kills someone, like everyone's going to recognize his face. But like when a black guy does it, like they think like all black people look the same. And so, like, I'll never get recognized. Like, that's his whole plan. I mean, I guess it works. Yeah, and I think he's like, I get, like, a certain block if I do this for you, like, at a discount, I think. Yeah, and the guy's like, that 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 block is shit. Like, what would you do with that? He makes the best of it. Yeah, and after that, you get, like, a nice little montage where he's kind of doing his Robin Hood shit, right? Like, yeah, this song is, like, amazing. And they're killing people, but, like, the, the neighborhood, all the black kids are like, yeah, Tommy, you're so awesome. We love you. You're sick, you know. He's like a local hero. You know, he's 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 chilling in his suits. He's with his crew. His crew is really cool. This movie, I don't think, does the best job at like showing the passage of time. 
they only have like so much time and resources for it for black caesar you know so they can't really like do what a lot of movies nowadays do where they might change like the color or the lighting or they might do this or they might do a little makeup or cgi so in a movie like this that they make in literally probably a month maybe a few weeks they don't have time to like say like to bog down the movie with like effects like that that show the passage of time so it's fine so i'm assuming that like he works his way up like within a matter of like a year. Maybe he's like working a year or two, working the streets, killing people, gaining trusts of the Italian mob and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love the montage and just some real bops to go along with it. But if I had any complaints with this movie, I do wish, and this is my complaint with a lot of these kind of movies. And when I say these kind of movies, I'm referring to like movies in which like you climb up the social ladder or criminal ladder or whatever, you know, any of those kind of movies. I always wish they spend more time like on the actual, like of the actual climbing of the ladder. Cause, and, and, and I understand that like you're limited by time, but honestly, I wouldn't have mind another like 20 or 30 minutes where we got to kind of watch him, you know, move up the ranks. And I, I know like, a lot of like resources and that sort of thing, but it, it would have been very enjoyable to kind of see that kind of like process of him moving up the ladder. Yeah. But whenever I'm like, whenever I like, I, I watch black Caesar, I'm like, it, sometimes there's something weird about it. I kind of have to think like, you know, I guess like they didn't have time to do that. <laughs> they didn't have the resources to do that, but no, I see what you mean. And it's such a good movie too. And the characters are really good. Like if it was a little bit longer, it would have been, it's a, it's a nice tight 90 minutes, but if it was a little longer, I wouldn't have complained. It, it's the, the, the story's good. The characters are cool. Good montage. And then he's like hanging out with his lawyer and he's with his buddy, the, the uh, Joe, his uh, smart friend and he's with his past his friend who's also a pastor i like that i, I like that character it's just it's kind of it's a little random he's a little random of a character but he's he's great just because he's kind of like a, i don't know he's an unusual friend i think he gives like i think he provides clout to tommy you know in the community as like a pastor guy and plus the tax benefits oh right that's right they talked about that they talked about how like they're using like the church or whatever as kind of like uh like laundering money they basically like it's a mon money laundering yeah but they I, I, this is the meeting where they talk about the ledgers which is pretty much like the mcguffin of the whole movie yep they meet with their or a lawyer the white lawyer guy and they're like look these people have like kept track of everything for some reason the lawyer's like that's a terrible idea like why would anyone do it he's like i don't know but they did <laughs> Yeah, and and the ledgers are like the ledgers are basically like from the crop some crime syndicate or family that shows like who is being paid off and how much to you know for whatever criminal enterprises they have going on. I'm assuming, and he knows they exist. Tommy knows they exist, and he knows like when they're being looked at, and he's like, "We should take them, <laughs> you know. We should take them, and then we should get control of everything, you know." Uh, because we can just, we have leverage now. And that's what he does. Uh, he, he, he goes uh, to a, a, like a club and he meets his uh, girlfriend there, Helen. She's singing. She's a singer and piano player. She's had a long night. Everyone's shitty to her because, you know, it's the late 60s, early 70s. And she's a black woman. And he's like, look, I gotta, I gotta go do some shit. So I want you to just listen, 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 baby. I gotta just play a yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, real smooth, real cool. Listen, I, play play the piano, play play something loud. Or, yeah. And she's like, "What do you want me to play?" He's like, "Doesn't matter. Just don't stop playing. Like, just loud and don't stop." And you're like, "Oh, we we know what's about to happen." 
And then he walks into the room where there's like an accountant and two of his like accountant buddies. And he just straight up murders them. I know. He's awesome. He, he rock. He runs in just. And his hat doesn't even get like anything on it. Like, I love how pristine because he's always wearing a suit because he's always I mean, he always looks so fresh. Yeah, exploitation movies, their their fits are always really good. Like the clothing and the fashion aspect is always like really amazing. It's 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 really beautiful. Hundred percent. And then the best part of it is like nothing ever gets on it. Like it's always clean. It's never got a crease on it. No blood. No nothing. Even the hat. It's just like perfect. Well, well, they got to return. They got to return the suit to wherever they rented it, so they can't really get it messy. Like the production has to take it back. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think the yeah, I don't think the 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 budget will allow to buy a nice suit, but uh yeah, no, he's cool. He's cool as fuck, you know. He's awesome. He's 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 got swag. Yeah, and he steals the letters and not the letters, the ledgers. The ledgers. And he like takes it to the lawyer and is like, "Yep, we got him. We got the motherfuckers." And then like uh the guy shows up, the cop. Back from the beginning, the world's worst human being, arguably. Like just the absolute worst just so mean he like beats up kids the tables have turned so to speak you know he now uh, tommy has the ledgers he's got all the cards and basically is what he tells the lawyer he's like i want to fatten him up and then just kill him just like absolutely murder this man and we're all like i'm signed up for it i'm ready i'm like let's do this let's let's murder this cop <laughs> yeah let's go let's go let's fucking do it and yeah he like shows up and he's like an asshole and stuff and i will say that like the cop guy the cop the evil cop character he pretty much kind of like sums up kind of like the idea of the movie where he says that like you may be like high now but like it's gonna crash eventually like you eventually are going to like fail or it's going to be over for you and he's right <laughs> you know like he's just <laughs> what like like yeah like even looking at it from kind of like a neutral perspective in which you're not like a hateful racist cop, like, yeah, like he, it, it's, it's going to not last forever. And, and the next scene is like one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie where he buys the apartment. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> he, he like goes to his lawyer's apartment because I don't remember why he tells the lawyer like he needs to go to the house or the apartment. And he's just like, he's just like, I want to visit your family or something. Yeah. He's like, I want to like visit your wife or some, some shit like that. And then he walks in and he's just like, I'm going to buy this. And he's like, no, 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 it's not for sale. I love it. It's got a nice view. <laughs> and he buys it with everything in it, clothes, jewelry. They just leave. They just have to walk out with what they have. He even takes her coat. Yeah, he like she's like trying to walk out with the coat and she takes it. And then after they leave, he's like dumb. He's like th instead of like selling it or giving it away, he just doesn't. He doesn't give a shit because he like he but he because he fucked over these white people. You know, it's just like it's more like kind of like a, it feels good because he's just like he's throwing it away. You know, he's like yeah, he's throwing it away. You know, it's it's at this point in the movie, you know, we are like yes, yes, we love we love Tommy Gibbs. He's awesome. Tommy's the best. We love him. He, he's, he's really rocking it. And cut to next morning. We see a, a maid come to like deliver breakfast or, or something of, the, of that uh, variety. And of course, from under the covers comes Tommy. And we learn that, <laughs> that that's, his, that's his mom. And she is pissed. Yeah, the mom kid, the mom stuff is like very funny and very, but very interesting too. I think it's good because Tommy's just like, it's the apartment is yours. Like all you can do whatever you want. Like I have enough money that you don't have to be a maid. 
And she's like, I wouldn't even know what to do. It's sad. It's the, the story of him and his mother is, yeah, it's a very tragic story. Because all he wants to do, I mean, so much of this is about finding love with the people around him and, you know, providing for the community. And it seems every time he attempts, he just, for whatever reason, he fails. And then this is like the first like real failure we see with Tommy is like, he gives her everything. He's like, you have the apartment, we'll get you a driver. Like you never have to work another day in your life. And of course she thinks that he is just like high out of his mind and he hasn't bought the apartment or any of that stuff because it's clear that he hasn't seen her because he was in jail for a long time. And, and so this is like the first time they've seen each other. And so she thinks he's either high out of his mind or if he isn't, if he actually did buy the place, like she doesn't want to be any part of it. And it's, it's heartbreaking. But, you know, he moves on. Tommy, you know, you get that scene where he's like partying with his buddies. I like that scene. That scene doesn't like, it's just, you know, showing him that, you know, you know he's got his like, you know, he gets, you know, he has a lot of friends or whatever. I like that scene when he's sitting next to the guy and he pulls a gun out of his jacket. He like puts, he's just like, what the fuck? Like, he's just like, why'd you bring a gun to the party? <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He just kind of like, it's like, there's like great, you know, there's James Brown music playing and everyone's dancing and stuff. And he just pulls it out. It's like a funny little detail. Love it. Now, you know, Tommy is like ready to basically um, take power. He's ready to backstab the king pretty much. So like he goes to see his, you know, Italian guy, his, his Italian guy. And their buddy buddies, like, you know, they're friends, you know, they're like, hey, you know, at, at the restaurant. Tommy's boys show up and they kill all of his guys. And he's like, what the fuck? And it's basically a coup. They're cooing the, the Italian mafia family. This one, I guess. Yeah, he has to go into retirement. He's not killing him, but basically he has to, he has to step down. And we didn't mention this before, but Tommy does this thing where he always buys people gifts, which I just love. Like he's constantly buying people gifts. Yes. Yeah. That's a good detail. That's a, that's a good, that's a good, like, that's just a nice little simple. Yeah. It's, it's so representative of Tommy as a person and how he sees the world. Like he genuinely thinks that he's making the world a better place. And by giving, and he thinks by giving these gifts, he's buying people's love when of course, pretty much every time he gives the gifts, like they almost never, because he never gives them in good circumstances. Like it's never like, you know, have a good day. Here's a gift. (laughs) Yeah, he does that throughout the movie. And and the other thing, too, is that he and Joe have, like, conversations, like, early on about, like, you know, help, like, kind of uplifting, you know, their neighborhood or, like, you know, parts of the city, you know, that they that are poor or impoverished and stuff like that. And as and as a movie, a movie progresses, uh, you know, that sort of, like, continues to fall in the background. But he's still, like, buying gifts for people and stuff. And he gives this Italian mob guy the gifts and and Italian mom's like, "Ah, I'm not going to accept your gift. And you'll never, you know, there's these other people that are in Los Angeles that you'll never get to blah, blah, blah. It's like his brothers, his brothers live in California. And of course, cut to California. (laughs) Yeah, actually that house, that's Larry Cohen's house. Is it really? That's his, that's his own home in Beverly Hills. That's great. I love it. Yeah. And, uh, and bone, uh, the entire movie is filmed there. So the movie starts in the backyard and they go inside of it. Good for Larry Cohen. Yeah, he's got a nice house. You know, I, I I feel like I feel like he probably lived in that house his whole life. And yeah, like low budget filmmaking. We'll just shoot it at my house. <laughs> and yeah, it's like the the mob are having like a they're having a party. And yeah, just out of nowhere, they're attacked. Just machine guns everywhere. 
people falling in the pool they film under the pool like in the pool you know just just you know food getting just like destroyed by bullets it's a good it's a good shoot up very one-sided shoot up i mean it's just they just massacre them <laughs> and no chance at all they just massacre all the italian people yeah they just destroy them yeah so there's no competition now well there's no like you know that family is gone it's great <laughs> And then we have our next confrontation with the cop because he's back and the cop's like, you can't, like, you can't do this. And he's like, oh, I, I didn't do it. I was, he gets himself like arrested for some like petty crime for the day. So he has like an alibi. So like, he's not personally involved, you know, classic criminal kind of shit, but the cops just like, we, he, he can't do this, but he already did. It's too late. Yeah. He's and and yeah, once again, the cop does the same thing where he's just kind of like, look, you know, you're not gonna get away with it. You know, you're not gonna get away with this. Like, we're gonna get you is essentially what they're saying. And 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 Tommy is just kind of he's totally chill. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> he's too cool. He's too cool. He's too suave. He's too swagged out. This is like kind of like at the turn of the movie where I think Tommy though kind of starts to lose his swag a little bit. In that I think he becomes like more desperate. And more worried and anxious uh, because now he has, because now he is so, he's super rich and powerful now. And so in like in the next scene, he basically like, he, he, he rapes his girlfriend, you know, they're, they're like in bed. That's exactly what happens. And she yep. is just like, I don't want to have sex with you because you're a horrible murder monster. And he like, is just like, well, okay. And then he rapes her and it's just like, oh shit. Okay. I didn't expect that. No longer a team Tommy. No, no longer in team Tommy anymore. I mean, this is like, it's halfway through the movie now. And yeah, the second half of the movie, like I said, is just kind of like a downward spiral at this point where, yeah, he like, you know, like hurts his girlfriend really bad. It's a very, it's not like a horrible scene or anything like that, but it is a very like, you know, it's a very difficult one because that actor, like she really goes over the top. Yeah. And, and, and sort of like, uh, you know, being uh, upset about the situation, we're upset about the situation. So, and then yet, yeah, and then his dad shows up, which is also another just completely like yeah bone thrown in. Yeah. I love that. I love that moment. The preacher's like, you know, doing his classic preaching thing you know going around the community preaching stuff tommy's dad just like shows up out of nowhere and he's like hey i want to see tommy and and so like they get in the car the preacher's like look i don't like i don't know who you are i don't care if you're tommy's dad or not like leave even though like the priest or pastor whatever he is like it's clearly has some like questionable morals he definitely like grasps that tommy has kind of like he's off the deep end yeah he's off the deep end and he's like you need to like you need to fucking leave <laughs> that scene too like they 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 need like a reason for tommy to be distracted right so like that there's that small group of people that are like tommy tommy, tommy. tommy. and it, it, it's clearly like it's clearly like larry was like in new york city and they're filming and they're like fuck we need like tommy needs to be distracted and like people are walking by and Larry was probably just like, uh, everybody, everybody, can you form a group real quick? Okay. I need you all for like just a couple seconds, just to like, he's, it's clearly like not actors or extras. It's clearly just people that were just walking by on New York city that wanted to be in the movie. And they're like, okay, everybody chant Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Gorilla filmmaking. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Just a wonderful moment. And he has the combo with his dad. The dad decides not to leave. Which is a mistake. Yes, it's definitely a mistake. And he talks about, you know, his childhood and growing up. And, you know, 
all of like the different people in his life that he's still friends with and blah, blah, blah. And his dad's like a salesman who travels the country or whatever, selling some shit. And they basically go to their old home or at least where Tommy grew up with his mom. It's like, just like nothing. It's like a pile of sticks. Yeah. It's basically just like this torn down or almost halfway torn down apartment complex, kind of similar as in the Candyman. It kind of looks like that. Yeah, I like, like that those shit. apartments yeah. a little bit. Like the projects, like a fucked up projects. And uh, it, it does not go well for his dad. Although I guess, yeah, <laughs> considering it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, it could have been worse. Yeah, he like freaks out. Like he just completely freaks out. Tommy freaks out, and he like is just like, "I'm going to kill you, Dad." And you're just like, "Oh my God, he's gonna kill him!" No. And once again, it's just once again another signifier that Tommy has completely lost his mind, and that he thought about like killing his dad. And he decides not to, and he's just like, get out of here. I never want to see you again. And his friend, his preacher friend, is just like, what are you going to do next? Kill your mom? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, once again, cementing that Tommy is just, he's not the same anymore. And then you have like that meeting where he's talking to Joe, right? And they're like at a, like a, like a singing, like her Helen singing or whatever. And Joe's like, hey, when are we going to build that community center? And he's just like, bro. I I don't even give a shit about that anymore. We need to hire thugs. We need to hire guys from like, you know, like big guys from like Detroit to for protection because like I'm I'm they want to kill me. Like he's getting kind of like anxious and kind of like uh, paranoid about like people wanting to like assassinate him and all the like the shit about like, you know, helping the community. It's fallen by the wayside now. Yeah. It is the beginning of the end for old Tommy. It's clear that when he's like talking about the singer like he no longer cares about the community he no longer cares about caring for the community he just cares about his own protection and just like making as much money as possible even like when he's talking about the singer like he's talking about like all the ways that he can basically profit off of her existence and so he's like yeah you and helen go to california for protection and and they're like okay you can kind of see what's going to happen. Anyway, the next scene, his mom's dead, which this scene is a little funny just because like it's sad just because like his mom died and, and and he's with his preacher friend. They're like, God damn, you know, that sucks. Obviously very low budget, obviously stolen. They obviously were like, we need to go to a cemetery and film. So we're just going to walk into the cemetery and film, you know, like they have like Fred Williamson and the preacher guy. They're like looking down at something like a, like a headstone. But obviously, but they never cut to a tombstone because obviously they never made one. Like, you know, like, so it's just like footage of them kind of looking down being like, man, that's uh, like, you know, my mama, she's dead, you know, and they even have that song that's like, my mama's dead. (laughs) Yeah, it's clear that they were like, we're going to go to a cemetery. We're not going to ask for any permission. We're just going to film real fucking quick. And but we don't have a tombstone. So just kind of like look at the ground and we'll, you know, you can just kind of like talk about your mom. Being, you know, it's it's great. <laughs> and we'll play this great song. <laughs> yeah, we'll play the great song about like, well, to is signify the fact that, yes, your mom is dead. I love it. I, I just love it. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's very uh, it's 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 at least like a solution. It's a realistic solution to like not, you know, getting a tombstone. You know, it's it's be kind of expensive and if you got like a cheap one it would look like shit so yeah just look at the ground we get it you know your mom died you're in a cemetery like what else would it be and yeah he sees his dad again and that's awkward yeah he asks his dad he's like what do you want like do you want money do you want a place to stay and the dad's like no like i just i don't want anything which it's a very interesting relationship and i again kind of 
parallels, right? His mother's relationship with him, which is like, they just want their son to be loving and happy. And all Tommy knows what to do, especially at this point is to give stuff. And like, if giving, like, that's the only way he knows how to give and receive love. And so when he can't give his father love to Tommy, that's as if he can't feel love himself. Like he can't express love to his father. And it's, again sad <laughs> yeah really sad and you know the sex too that's probably another you know coping mechanism um you know he goes to his apartment and uh the white uh, wife of uh the lawyer is there and she's like yeah we let's do it and he's like what the fuck are you doing here get the fuck out of here and she's just like fine but you should you know find out what joe is doing with your wife and he's like huh uh okay and he goes he like goes to the nice pad. I don't know if that's Larry Cohen's house or not. It doesn't look like his house. So it must be another house. Yeah, they go to a house in California and like, yeah, it's evident that they are like sleeping together, uh, Joe and uh, Helen. Uh, and he freaks out. He, you know, he just, he, he loses. He sure does. He is pissed. I mean, he loses it. Throws his best friend down the stairs. It's pretty convincing. I would say like the action in this scene is very convincing. Yeah, it's a very intense and raw scene. Like, it just feels... It doesn't feel in any way overly violent. Like, it feels as if, like, these are two people... No, it just feels like a real fight. Yeah, it feels like a genuine, like, two people who have kind of been in the game for a long time. You know, it's not, like, throwing punches and, like, dodging punches stuff. It's just, like, throw them down the stairs, grab them by that shoulder, and just, like... I mean, it's brutal. It really is. And I like the dialogue too in this scene too, where, you know, uh, Tommy is saying to Joe, like, Joe, you could have had it all. You could have had anyone, you could have had anything. And Joe's like, I didn't want to own like anyone, you know, I didn't want like, you know, like Joe's completely like on another, which I guess like that would have been kind of nice to see more of Joe and more like maybe their relationship a little bit more. Once again, that would be a nice to see developed, but given, like I said, the constraints of like a, like a movie like this. I, I get, I get it. You know, like I totally get it. Like, you know, Joe is completely on a separate end of the spectrum than Tommy is. Um, and Joe gets punished for that. And Tommy also gets punished too, because I mean, he kind of has ruined the relationship of, with his best friend and also with his wife. It's, it's, it's complex, I think. It genuinely is. And this is the, I mean, if Tommy was on a downspin before, this is kind of the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. I mean, from this point onward, Tommy's just like, absolutely broken like he's he basically can't function from this point as a criminal mastermind and his existence yeah yeah because right after this the the white guys all the white guys that we've met <laughs> they're all like all right it's time to pinch out tommy let's kill his friends and they kill all of his friends and they're like well how do we get to tommy well the only person he ever really loved was helen so we'll use her so they go to Helen and Helen has like two kids and, you know, she's or in like this shitty apartment. There's an apartment and she's like, and, and they're, they're horribly threatening to her. I, I, I will say, I like when uh, they kill his friends. Oh, I do. I don't like it, but you know, like um, there's that one scene where he's at a restaurant. <laughs> that That's just like a, that's like a joke where he's like, do, do you recommend anything? And he gets shot in the chest. He's like, has a menu. Shot in the chest. Like, do you recommend anything? <laughs> just shoots him in the chest. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's like a fucking like I don't know. That's there's just kind of like a funny gag. Like, do you recommend anything? <laughs> just shoot shot in the chest. Oh, that was so funny. 
all, all that shit, all that shot footage is definitely like stolen too of them walking around New York City and pretending to like, oh, I got shot, you know, like falling over. 100%. <laughs> and like I said, there are a lot of other movies where they do that, where he'll film actors walking around the street acting weird or pretending to get shot you will never ever be able to get away with something like that today in any city in the united states you know like walking around like pretending to be shot or fighting or they they plan his demise they meet with helen and they're like look you you gotta you have you gotta have sex with him you gotta have sex with them like that's that's what's gonna happen so you can steal the deposit key which he carries on at all times which is where all the ledgers are and and she does it she, you know, for love of uh, John and the many threats that these men give her, she steals the, she has sex with them and steals the, or does like the imprint thing, like where they put it on one of those, like, you know, where you like make a copy of a key. She steals it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think they're able to get the ledgers and like the lawyer has the ledgers. And I think now that they have the ledgers, you know, it's time to fucking kill Tommy, you know, <laughs> like, let's go, let's kill him. And yeah, this whole section of the movie is just crazy. It's a crazy section of the movie. It's just, just fucking off the wall where he gets a, he's getting a gift for someone, for Helen, I think. And he walks out of Tiffany, right? Yeah, again, buying a gift. And in New York City, like daylight, in the middle of New York City, clearly they're filming. And, you know, he walks out with a gift and they drive by and they shoot him. Tommy is just wandering around. We mentioned earlier with like a gunshot wound, pretending that he just got shot and... You know, he, they're real people walking by, you know, they're staring, you know, because they're real people, like a movie's going on. They're like, whoa, that's cool. Uh, or, you know, the, like I said, the bird's eye view where he's wandering around and people are like, what the fuck? Are you okay? You know, he's getting shot. And, but then you have like the taxi, like the quick taxi car chasing, which is like, once again, another level of like shit. Basically, he's not dead. He's still alive. He's still breathing. And he jumps in a taxi and the like two killers or whatever, which by the way, it's the same. It's like the same assassin has been like killing all these people. It's like the weird kind of like, like uh, he's like a funny looking guy. He's like, not, he's like, not, he's just like a funny looking regular guy. Yeah. Just, yeah. And so he jumps in a taxi and there's basically this long chase scene through like New York traffic, which makes the chase scene all the better. And on the sidewalk. Yes. They just drive onto a sidewalk, which is just insane. No, I mean, like, so, like when I watched that documentary, that Cohen documentary, uh, they did, they interviewed his wife and his wife like produced movies with him. Like he, she worked on movies with him and she talks about like, after they did that, she remembers like talking to Larry and being like, Larry, that was so fucking stupid. Why would you do something like that? If something bad happened, like it's done, we're, we're done. Like we're, we're, it's going to be over. Obviously no one got hurt. But yeah, she was like upset. <laughs> My God. I mean, yeah, for good reason. It's crazy. They're on this, they're on the New York City side. People <laughs> jumping out away. It's fucking insane. Could never do that again. Ever. Never. If you drove on the sidewalk in New York City, even for like a second, let alone a whole block, you're going to get shot in the head like by the police to stop you. I think that was probably what would happen. Yeah, I, yeah. this scene is just like the editing is crazy. It's just like all over the place. And, you know, they jump on the car and like, you know, they shoot the driver and Tommy like rolls out and he's running around. And, you know, he's just, you know, he's got blood in his shirt and the other guy is trying to kill him. And he's able to, he stops him. He's able to kill him or... Yeah, he's able to kill him by just like strangling him in the middle of New York City. 
Yeah, with like a his own tie or something like that. Yeah, they're like in New York City. He's just like and he just murders, murders him. him. Now everything's out in the open. Tommy knows what's going on. They know that he's not dead. And it's time for the the final meetup, the final fight. Back at the lawyer's office. I know confrontation. He has that like one meeting with like his pastor friend and his pastor friend is like on drugs or something. And he's acting really weird and being very unhelpful. And he's just like, okay, <laughs> that seems like total, like, like as if like he bought into like his own religious, not like, you know, like regular religious zealotness, but like, you know, God will heal you. And like, you don't need to go see a, a doctor or a hospital. Like, cause Tommy's like, like, I need to fucking like, this needs to be fixed. Like I need to get this fucking bullet out of my, like ribs and he's like god will hear you blah 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 it's like this is not helpful at all <laughs> yeah i don't think he gets any help i think he just is just like whatever and he leaves and he's like okay i need to go to see the lawyer guy and at the same time joe also decides to do that he decides to go see the actually no what yeah no he he calls joe he calls joe yeah he's like i need help okay let's meet at the thing because he's not like yeah he's not like um he's not like tommy he's different but of course, he gets punished anyway. That poor man. Joe Joe tries to do nothing but good the whole movie. And he gets on that elevator. And he's like going up to, to see Lord. He's going to figure things out. And of course, that stupid cop just, just murders him. For not a whole lot of reason. Sick cop. Yeah, disgusting cop. Yeah, he just kind of goads him and shoots him in the head. He's just another guy, you know. You know, he shows up. Uh, Tommy does. And he sees that the, his lawyer got shot in the head too, of course. And then, yeah, you get like the final fight where he's fighting with uh, the cop, the evil cop guy. Um, and he, and yeah, you get that incredible moment. It's just so fucking intense where like he's got a gun on, on, on Tommy and he's just like, yeah, shine my shoes. He doesn't just want to like kill Tommy or ruin Tommy, like ruin his business. He wants to embarrass him. You know, it's not enough to like shoot him. He wants to really like humiliate him, which is awful. I mean, it's such a brutal moment i mean of like more than the violence and anything that moment is just like so even though like at this point you don't tommy's not someone you're rooting for necessarily but you're still like oh like it, it's such a heart-wrenching moment and part of me was like terrified that this is like this is gonna be in the film it was gonna be like this right here and he's just gonna get shot and that's gonna be it and i'm like oh no nah, fuck that ah fuck that no way that'd be so unsatisfying that'd be so unsatisfying no. tommy says Fuck that. And he knocks a gun out of his hand and he beats him up. Beats the shit and out of him. That scene is awesome because it's like, you know, as he's beating it up, it's intercutting with the footage from the first fight of him getting beaten up as a kid. And that's what the movie is really all about, right? It's that cathartic, you know, that cathartic moment of him beating up the cop. But that moment, that scene, it's not like a satisfying scene. It's not a satisfying, like, because at the beginning of the movie, we're like, yeah, I can't wait for him to sh kill that cop. You know, he deserves it and he does. But the final moment, as cathartic and as emotional, as intense as it is, it does feel really real. And because of that, it doesn't, it's not a very like extremely like satisfying and happy moment because of all the other things that happen in the movie, right? Like, because everybody got killed. He doesn't like have parents anymore and he doesn't have a wife anymore. And he, he himself became a horrible monster. And so like, yeah, like this, this, this cathartic moment it's a catharsis but it's like a really like the end of like this horrible cycle of just like racism and violence and 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 crime and 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 at the end of the day it's like where it's supposed to end too right because he says you know he says like it's gonna 
you know, we know like it's not the 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 successes and the extravagance of like his uh, his uh, life of crime. You know, it's not gonna end well, and it doesn't. Even though he does able, he is able to kill the cop. Uh, it, it feels a little empty because you know it's everything has just kind of been destroyed. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really interesting twist so to speak on that classic kind of cathartic feeling where at the beginning of the film you set up your bad guy and your good guy and of course by the end you're supposed to have like this cathartic moment where the good guy kills the bad guy or like he overcomes you know some evilness of the bad guy but at this moment because tommy is such a complex character because at this point although tommy is certainly better than the cop not by a whole lot and so this moment that's supposed to feel so cathartic uh, as a as a viewer, ends up as you said, just with this emptiness and sadness because you want this moment to be cathartic, and yet when it happens, it's like, what's the point? Like it doesn't, like it doesn't matter. And that's kind of in many ways the whole film in a nutshell, right? The whole idea that this violence, which begets just more violence, doesn't end up doing anything, like. You know, we create this illusion that we're going to provide for the community. We're going to do all these things. But then, you know, through power and, you know, greed and all that shit, it just ends up cyclical and it just keeps doing the same thing over and over again. And, you know, by basically adapting your oppressors and just you just become the oppressor yourself and it's empty, real empty moment. And, 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 and of course, like, you know, it, it's, it's capped off even more when, you know, he, he, he leaves and he, he, and he goes and he has the ledgers, you know, like who cares anymore, you know, who cares, who gives a shit anymore about the ledgers. And he, and he like goes out once again, he goes out to like, kind of like the old projects that are dilapidated. And for some reason, and it's very random. Um, it's just like, what the fuck is happening? Because the audio is cut off with, from, with the voices somehow there are teenagers there and he gets into like a fight with them like the teenagers pick a fight with him i think they just want to like steal his stuff yeah i think they just want to beat him up and steal his stuff but it looks like they like they, it seems like they kill him but yeah they just want to beat him up but he, but he's he's like hurt really bad i mean he's like bleeding it's kind of like the caesar thing right like at the end he is ganged up on and he's stabbed he's ganged up and stabbed by his own community right it's it's his people that end up killing him I mean, that's what they were taught to do, right? Like, well, you know what I mean? I'm not, I don't mean like, obviously it's a movie. So obviously I don't think that like black teenagers are running around like hitting people and stuff like that. Like, obviously it's like very exaggerated. And I'm of course, like, I'm not like, I'm not generalizing like whole communities of people around the world with like a fucking, you know, movie like this. But like, yeah, it's like trying to say like, you know, you know, he gets like killed by like a, a group that you wouldn't expect, you know, and, and, and he is like a very, you know, famous and not a famous, I guess not a famous figure, but a very powerful figure. And he became powerful because he got, he killed a lot of people, you know, which is not a good thing to do. And yeah. And, and that moment is crazy too, because it's just like the ledgers at that point are just completely useless. You know, they, they just become garbage. Like this whole thing that people keep killing each other for and fighting over it's, it's ultimately, you know, completely pointless and useless. Yeah, absolutely tragic. Again, going back to this idea of this cyclical nature, he grew up as a boy surrounded by violence and, you know, in in extreme poverty and utilized crime to climb his way out of poverty. And that's exactly what the kids are doing that are beating him up. And of course, it's suggested that 
they've just basically restarted the cycle, right? These kids are going to climb up the criminal ladder. They're going to do the exact same thing. They're going to become super powerful. And it's just, it's, it's, uh, right. It's, it's a snake eating its tail in a sense where it's just this endless cycle of poverty being pushed in on itself and this violence, which just creates more violence and more violence. And it is such a tragic, although of course, in some sense, via the title of the film expected, but nonetheless, just absolutely brutal ending. I mean, it could not have ended on a a darker note, honestly. Yeah. All right, Andrew, final thoughts. Great movie. Love Larry Cohen. I think the black crime 70s movie is complemented very well with Larry Cohen's guerrilla style filmmaking. The match makes a lot of sense. And Cohen is obviously a very seasoned and well and a very good writer, you know, where he's able to create create a great like kind of gangster crime movie, but it's much more deeper than that. Like a like a very, you know, deep level, I think. Saying that the movie is deep is kind of weird, but I really do think that like it's a movie that feels very complex outside of just watching like a 70s crime movie that's like sexy and cool and stuff. It's 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 a step above that. Um, in my opinion, um, and I've seen some other, um, you know, quote unquote, black exploitation movies, um, and they have a lot, like a lot of style and stuff. But some of them just, and you know, this is probably the case for a lot of other different genres, of course. You know, sometimes they're missing kind of like a complexity to it. Um, well, I think Black Caesar, very complex. I think also Fred Williamson is is a really great actor in it. He like really is great in it, and I think all the actors are really good. Obviously, it's very like. Um, very low budget, but of course, you know, because of the 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 uh, guerrilla style filmmaking, uh, <laughs> you know, he doesn't need to buy a permit or buy a set. He can just go to New York City and drive on the sidewalks, and you know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to buy a set or you know get a permit. He can just do it. Obviously, can't do that now, but I guess if someone had to do it, it, it was Cohen. And you know, ultimately, just a really good '70s crime action movie. Eight out of ten for sure. Absolutely. I agree 100% with everything you're saying. This is my first black exploitation film. This is my first Larry Cohen film, and it could not have been a better introduction to either because it is just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, as you were kind of saying, the story is truly elevated by these characters that are incredibly complex and well thought out, and they all have their own history and lives. And as we talked about, I would love to see more of Joe. I would love to see more of his climbing up the criminal ladder. I think that's a really interesting part of the story that's often missed. The music, of course, is just to die for. Everyone just looks so fresh. It's truly an incredible film, incredible experience. Like I said, my only real complaint is I just wish it was longer. I wish there was more of it. And I have so much respect for the guerrilla filmmaking and the low-budget filmmaking. So I recognize that that just might not have been possible. I mean, you had to buy film back then, so every minute costs you know a significant amount of money. But one experience, 8 out of 10, easily. Easily an 8 out of 10. All right, y'all. You can find everything we do, including this podcast, at With Nothing to Say Pod on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find anything I do at AustinLuca12. Yeah, you can find me at Twitter at HadyHarp24. I'm also on Letterboxd at RetroAndrew, R-E-T-R-0, Andrew. And thank you all for listening. Thank you so much.
Thank you all for listening to another incredible episode of With Nothing to Say. This community is built by and of and for you. So thank you all for listening. And before we go, just a quick shout out to our incredible editor, Shannon Mitchell. They are one of the greatest editors in the industry, and we really could not do it without you. So thank you, Shannon. And until next week.